Hello and welcome to the All Terrain Podcast, brought to you by the Youth and Children's Ministry Unit of the Salvation Army in the UK and Republic of Ireland. My name is Matt White and in each episode I'll be inviting a guest to take a hypothetical hike with me as we find out about their real life journey to this point. Along the way, they'll make four choices and answer four questions. It's the first episode of season three and I am joined by Danielle Strickland. Danielle is a spiritual leader, justice advocate, communicator and peacemaker who has served people firsthand in countries all over the world. Her latest book in 2020 was called Better Together, How Women and Men Can Heal the Divide and Work Together to Transform the Future. And her podcast is listened to by thousands of people globally. She's currently based in Toronto where she's a proud mom to three boys, wife to Stephen and has affectionately been called the ambassador of fun. If you've heard Danielle speak before, you know that you are going to be in for a good episode. But if you haven't, brace yourself because this one is coming jam-packed full of wisdom so enough from me let's jump into this episode hello danielle thanks for joining us hi glad to be with you it's uh, it's lovely to be talking to you uh, on the altar in podcast now i think people who are listening to this uh, particularly in the Salvation Army in the UK, they will know you from events like Roots back in the day. Uh, I'm sure they'll have read uh, some of your books. I think it's a, is it five books with a sixth on the way or four with a fifth on the way? Which way is it? It depends on what you count, what I count, but usually I say five with a sixth on the way. Excellent. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the sixth because I, I was looking at it earlier and I think it looks brilliant. Tell us a little bit about the sixth book that's coming out soon. Ah, The Other Side of Hope Mm. um, is what it's entitled, Rediscovering Our Humanity and uh, Fighting Against Cynicism and Despair. So really, uh, just the idea that, um, well, we all want sort of a glorious display of hope, but we forget that there's another side, which is more of a framework uh, Mm. to live lives that um, can embody hope in sort of the complexity of the human experience. So again, sort of pushing back against this, what I would call the Hercules myth. Mm. Um, So unhooking ourselves from the external pressure of Mm. uh, perpetual success. (laughs) And I would uh, also say dealing with the internal dread of not enough. Mm -hmm. So if we can unhook ourselves from the external pressure and then deal with the internal dread that we're never, ever enough, which I think is rooted in a really terrible uh, theology of despair, mm. you know, sort of that really focuses on depravity and sees the world and ourselves through the lens of our brokenness and our depravity instead of through the lens of our sacredness. Mm. Um, I think those two things might lead us to a framework of hope that then will infiltrate the way that we live. Wow. And when's it coming out? Um, that's the question. I think spring next year. So very, very <laughs> exciting. Now, uh, now listen, yeah. um, on this podcast, of course, we, uh, we ask everyone the same four questions, but they also have to make the same four choices. Now, the first is where are we going on our hypothetical hike? Yeah, well, I have this unfulfilled bucket list dream of hiking the West Coast Trail in uh, the Pacific side okay. of kind of through Vancouver into Oregon. So let's make it there. And what would be, no, I've, I've, I have been to Vancouver very, very briefly um, on honeymoon. We stayed in Vancouver airport for one night before we flew out to where we were going on Vancouver Island. What would we see? What would be some of the highlights on that Vancouver, Oregon trail? Well, it's supposed to be epic in terms of like ocean. It's also supposed to be really hard, oh. but in terms of uh, ocean and forest and wild, yeah. you know, just like wilderness, like yeah. wild, rugged wilderness. Like yeah. there's places where it's, it's hand over foot, you know, like you're, you have to be in pretty good shape to hike it. 
Mm-hmm. Well, it's fair to say I'm not. So thank you, first of all, because that's a great <laughs> choice for me. Um, now, who's coming with us on this on this trail? So you get one living, one dead and one fictional. So who's coming with us? Yeah, I think I've been stalking uh, Lima Bowie. I don't know if you've heard of her, mm-hmm. but she was a Nobel Peace Prize. She is a Nobel Peace Prize winner from Liberia. And she, uh, you know, she led a movement of women, over 300,000 women, to kind of basically pray out publicly prayers of protest and lament and prayed out a dictator, wow. and uh, which led to the election of the first female uh, president in Africa, in wow. Liberia. But anyway, so I'd love to meet her and hang out with her yeah. for a while. I think I have a lot to learn Absolutely. <laughs> and to ask her. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So... Her, she, her book about her, her life is called Mighty Be Our Powers. And wow. there's a movie about her called Praying the Devil Back to Hell. Okay. Well, Mighty, Mighty <laughs> Be Our like... Powers has just gone immediately onto my list of books. It goes onto my wish list immediately because I'm like, well, that sounds incredible. What a story. It's amazing. Yeah. And like Pray the Devil Back to Hell feels like a Salvation Army sort of a title. So I'm like, let's. Let's meet. It's like a Gowans and Larson musical, isn't it? It's kind of like... (laughs) That's right. (laughs) It's amazing. Uh, I think uh, the Apostle Paul, I think these days, I'm stuck in Acts. I can't get out of Acts. I'd really like to... I'd like to chat with him. Mm. So uh, I have a lot to ask him. Um, So I'd love for him. And then what's the next one? Fictional. Oh, a fictional character. Mm. Shoot. A fictional character. I'm trying to think. Like, oh my goodness. I don't know. Like, um, it's going to be a probably Wonder Woman. Nice. Now, Danielle, every guest answers the same four questions. So here is the first one. How do you face change? Um, I think for me, I face change. And this might just be because I'm a seven on the Enneagram. Mm. Well, I'm right in the I'm right in the middle of a seven, eight, actually, to tell you the truth. Mm. Um, but so everything's sort of an adventure for me. So I find that change is an invitation. I I think I'm usually pretty curious. Mm. I have a posture that's like, huh, this is interesting, um, different. Mm. Uh, I wonder what's going to happen here. I think a lot of change for me, and it really obviously depends on the change Mm. and who instigated it and you know, why, Mm. (laughs) But I think a lot of it is um, an investigation. It comes sort of with this like curious expectation of like, I wonder what God might have in mind here mm. uh, based on my experience of change being uh, usually a way of discovering more about me and more about God and more about, you know, the partnership mm. that we have. Uh, I think those are those are some of the ways for me personally, mm. that I've navigated change. You sort of said, I am a seven. But for people who maybe don't understand the Enneagram or what that means, what is the Enneagram? And then what does being a seven mean? Well, the Enneagram is a demonic tool <laughs> uh, for spiritual oppression. Just joking. No, that's good. We'll do that. Okay, we'll do so... that for one half of the audience. And then if you could do another one for the <laughs> other half, that will work out perfectly. Thank you. You've, you've really nailed this. <laughs> It's kind of, it's just become such a standardized um, reference for personality uh, makeups Mm. really is what it is. So it's just a tool by which you can discover how you're designed, Mm. you know, like how you're made, Mm. what your tendencies are. So a seven is like the adventure, fun, let's have a good time, kind of they're the life of the party. Mm. And then an eight is like, let's get some stuff done. Mm. Like they're the challenger, they're the like charge forward, Mm. I'll show you how it's done. Um, so when I say I'm a seven, eight, it's literally like that's we're going to get a lot of stuff done together, mm. but we're going to have a good time doing mm. it. That's like my. Um, but anyway, it's just a tool. It's helpful. I find it helpful to understand yourself a little bit, maybe understand a little bit of for me, the most helpful part of the Enneagram was 
when I discovered sort of a little bit about like, this is kind of, and, and I think it, people take it too far and then it becomes like you're labeling people and you're stuck mm. in these dumb sort of ideas. But out of all the personality sort of type things, I think the Enneagram has the most room for um, maneuvering, finding your own way. Mm. But one of the most helpful things for me was when I looked at a little bit of how I was made, they have these, this is what an unhealthy seven looks like. Yeah. And this is what a healthy seven looks yeah. like. And for me, that was super helpful to me because as soon as I kind of lean towards that unhealthy list, mm. it's just a really good, like, come back, you know, come back to the center, yes. come back to a healthy place. So, uh, but I've also found it really helpful when you're working with other people, it can just be a really fantastic tool mm. to find out how they're wired mm. so that you can, you know, just communicate more effectively. You can engage them in, in different ways. Mm. And you can find out actually what is helpful and harmful to them. So it's been it's been kind of neat that way. I, I think it's great. I mean, again, like you say, I think I've, I've you know, I think like anything, you will have people who mm -hmm. immediately kind of detract because they either don't understand it or they, they don't see it as fitting within some sort of structure that they, they do get. On the other end of that spectrum, you've got people who then want to live by it. And the moment you tell them what your number is, they make a whole bunch of assumptions about you, which is also right. really dangerous. But I think you're right. I think I've seen it be really, really helpful in terms of, understanding who I am and who I'm not I'm not a huge kind of I'm not a huge kind of Enneagram kind of right into it but mm -hmm. I find when I've done it and, it and it is a really useful tool and you can do it online for free if you just google free Enneagram you can go mm -hmm. and do it and try it out and I, and I think as well you're right for teams anyone leading a team or he's part of a team it can be really useful to know how someone why someone reacts the way they react why mm -hmm. they don't respond in the way you do to certain things i think that can be really really useful also if you're just in a yeah. group of mates it's a really fun thing to do together to try and guess yeah, as well it's, it's just fun. a lot of fun yeah so. the other thing i think is really interesting around what I, one of the positives of enneagram stuff and the popularity mm. of it is that i think it's helpful to group people together in a different way other than gender or race yeah. or background yeah. So I actually, I find a lot of fun, like could all the sevens go over yeah, there yeah. and then you watch all the sevens go over there and they're all different yeah. backgrounds yeah. and different, but they're kind of, they relate on this other level. Yeah. And I think that's kind of a beautiful uh, way of grouping people yeah. um, that, that takes us a little deeper than what we can see or what boxes we traditionally come from. And also what we might be willing to own in ourselves if we were describing ourselves to someone new, because actually right. some of the things about it, like you say, particularly some of those positive traits people might not want to open with those. Like some people might right. not want to go, here's all the best things about me. Whereas actually right. that that system allows someone to immediately, if they, if they know it and if they, and again, well, I've got some great friends who are really proficient and really understand it, but they're able yeah. to almost immediately go to someone who perhaps is a little quieter or wouldn't necessarily blow their own trumpet to go, oh, so you are, and then just call out some beautiful traits, which I just think is yes. lovely. Like it's just a lovely yes. thing to do. Um, yeah. I, I guess one of the, the things about change and and for you, I guess, in terms of where you are, we, we, we sort of spoke at the start before we started recording about where you are. Your, your life has gone through a number of changes for people who kind of maybe don't know your story from from kind of childhood uh, through to kind of your teens. And then um, right even in the last few years, some of the big changes mm. you talked about, I guess, a sense of excitement and um, and a posture that welcomes those things. But I guess also there have been times in your life when change has been difficult. So is that posture of excitement something that has developed or has that always been innate in you? Well, I think, you know, I'm an officer's kid and um, and then I was an officer for 23 uh, years. 
So change is kind of like built into, you know, like it's always changing. Mm. Things are always changing mm. us and Bob Dylan. Mm. And for me, it really fueled my sense of adventure and yeah. excitement and who else I was going to meet yeah. in the world. And like, I was done with this town anyway, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I think that's also maybe unhealthy ways of <laughs> using change as a mechanism to like not go deeper. But anyway, so, um, so I think definitely like I've, I've learned, I've practiced change so much that I think I've learned to not only accept the inevitability of it, but then just to, to look on the bright side of it. I think probably when change has happened for bad, you know, or where it feels like it's, uh, it's, it's been hurtful, um, that obviously is a little bit more of a struggle. But I think because I've seen change be a catalyst for a deeper a reliance on God. I think that even when change is hard for me, I usually look to what God is is doing and saying in the season. Mm. Because I I think that the more that you practice that, the more that you practice living into this relationship with God. Like God is God's calling Jesus is the defining part of my life. So regardless of whether the change is for bad or for good, or like in my, whether I thought that was a good idea or not, I know that in the, the, the thing that matters the most is what God wants to do in me and through me and with me. So that's where I, I just look there. I just look there. And even if all it is, is even if it's a negative change, it's out of my control and that's hurting me, yeah. it usually is at least driving me, you know, towards depth yeah. and God and, and connection, uh, to something meaningful besides just usually changes, uh, circumstance based. Right. Yeah. So, so I think for me, I think even that, like, even when it's tragic, so even when it's been a hard change, mm. um, like probably the transition out of officership for me was one of the hardest mm. uh, seasons of my life and a change that was really not welcomed by me. I didn't want that. And so I think for me that dive into, you know, what is God actually asking me to do? What it, what am I hearing? What am mm. I discerning? What am I learning? What will this mean? Mm. Like, who am I? Mm. And, and then like when change strips some of those things that were easy to say and easy to do and I, you identified with for so yes. long, you have to find something else, yeah. you know, and in order to find that you have to dig a little deeper. So I, I think for me, change, when, when I hear about change, I think about the gift of it. Yeah. Um, and I read, I read the blog you wrote when you kind of announced that you were um, stepping back from officership and, and you talked about it being kind of painful and messy and, and all those things. What practically does it look like? Because I, I think sometimes, I, I love how people answer this question when they come on the podcast, but I'm, I'm always also fascinated to know that what does that look like because I guess the the danger on a on a on a podcast like this is that people listen to to others talking and it can almost sound otherworldly like mm -hmm. oh they can do that you know we 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 talk about posture yeah. and stuff like that I guess what practically does it look like for you to welcome that as a gift what what would that look like in a in a in a in a way that people could go oh yeah maybe I could do that yeah, I think, you know, so I'm trying to think about the elements of the story. I think, um, I, you know, I did a podcast as well in that season on change and navigating change. So if that's helpful, if anyone's in the middle of something and they need to go, uh, go there, that, that might be good because mm. it was fresh. Mm. So that might be mm. a little, it's four years now, so it's been a while. Wow. But I would say that... Um, I think the first thing is just to, to, to find your ground zero, like the, the thing that doesn't change, like I said, like to find God, mm. um, 
and to find yourself planted there. Mm. Like, you know, there are all these things changing, but there's this one thing that will not change. Mm. Um, and I think that's really important because otherwise I think if you, and that's why nourishing that place in your life, like nourishing a steady relationship and intimacy with God yeah. is going to serve you really well, uh, no matter what happens mm. in the rest of your life. Um, I just heard a guy do a, do a testimony. He had, he's been diagnosed. He's a minister of another church, but he was diagnosed with a ALS and he has about two years left to live and he's lost the use of his tongue. Mm -hmm. And, um, so he had to be trained. His wife had to translate what it was he was saying because she can understand him. Yeah. And he just said, you know, like, I understand now that I am not immune to suffering. And I also understand in a way bigger way that the whole world is suffering. And now I understand that what the love of God is actually for. Wow. It's uh, it's for us in our suffering. And so he talked about the great gift mm. that he's been given to know the love of God mm. in the midst of suffering, along with a suffering world. And I just, I mean, I almost wept, like even talking about it right now, I'm just like that. It was so beautiful. And you're just, and then he said, like, I just can't even think I like, I, I honestly can't even, I cannot even hardly take the idea of people suffering without knowing that the love of God is with them, you know, like, mm. and it, it was just like next level. Um, yeah, it's just next level navigating change, right? Yeah. Like, and I think it was a good reminder to me, like, this is what matters, yeah. you know, what really, really ultimately matters. And if you can find that place, you can really let go of a lot of the other things you can't control or change. Yeah. Um, and that can help because I think a large part of the really big struggle of change is when we're hanging on. You know, so it's just when we're trying to wrestle with it and hang it and make it fit and like, you know, all those things. And it's that wrestling and struggling. I mean, that's what got Jacob wounded mm -hmm. too, right? It's it's in the struggle mm -hmm. that there's wounding. But uh, if we could just let go, you know, um, and and find God mm. uh, as we as we know Him, you know, as we as we He's got us, you know, no matter what mm. He's got us, and that's kind of the thing that helps me and has helped me practically. So that's been prayer. It's been relationship with other people. I practice this way of life called infinitum, mm. which I think some people might have heard about before. Yeah. But that was really important in that season, you know, of just having a regular connection, mm. like navigating through my own healthy habits. Mm. Like, what am I, what's, what's dominating my thoughts? Mm. Um, trying to really battle against those things like of hurt mm. that can start dominating your life. Um, like cynicism and despair and blame, yep. you know, and just like, and even isolation sometimes and the hiddenness. You know, all those things are kind of enemies that kind of want to gobble us up. So having people to navigate that space with, um, I'll never forget. I'm friends with Bob Goff. I don't know if oh, you know yeah. Bob Goff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But he he found out that I had uh, left Selfish Army Officership. And I've done lots of events with him. Mm -hmm. We hang out when we're at conferences together and stuff. He's just been a source of joy mm -hmm. in my life. Uh, he's as good as he presents and better, you That's know, That's great news. That is great. But news. I remember <laughs> just calling me, I think it was after my, my blog post or yeah. my podcast or something. And he just called, he just called me up and he's like, Danielle, it's Bob. And I was like, yes. And he goes, I heard you're done with the Salvation Army. And I said, well, yeah, as an officer. And he said, um, when's the party? And I was like, no, Bob, there's no party. It's like a few where there's like a funeral here. Like there's no, like it, it can't be mentioned. Like it's like my mom's still crying. Like, I don't know how to explain this to you, but yeah. like, yeah. this isn't good news. Yeah. And he goes, no, no, not that you're leaving the party of what God's done. Mm. The 
tell me you're not going to end this chapter of your life without a party, mm. without celebrating what it is that God's done. So he's like, either you throw the party or I'm going to throw the party. But someone has so to throw good. a party because there's so much to celebrate. So good. And just the reframe of that was so powerful to so me. Important. And I literally, I just was like, Bob, like <laughs> to the rescue again, like mm -hmm. look at what the Lord has done. Mm -hmm. And what about like a chapter ending where you look at the chapter and just you're so grateful and it's so good mm -hmm. and it's so God. And you're just like, and you can celebrate mm -hmm. this uh, instead of just mourn this. And I, I, I know with all change, those things go together. There's a mourning mm -hmm. of what could have been mm -hmm. or what should have mm -hmm. been or like all that stuff. But there's also the celebration, like look what God's done in the season or in this chapter or in this. So uh, thanks, thanks to Bob that helped reframe that whole situation. And I actually started to view my 23 years of officership as a gift. Yes. You know, instead of as this thing that I was like, mm, no, like yeah, there's so much, you know, yes. you know, if you're in this, you know, there's so much associated with these kinds of things. But I really started to actually just look at the trajectory of God's leading yeah. in my life and just uh, become thankful for the encounter yeah. and experience opportunities instead of resentful uh, that it was over. So you get to go, thank you. Now what's next? Yes. And now what's next? Yeah. And what is God? And even, you know, what is God up to yeah. here? And one of the things I've been so thankful for is like a large part of my ministry, I would say for the most part, is just really giving away the DNA of the Salvation yes. Army, you know? Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, in so many ways, it's like you can see how God used this, this infusion, yeah. you know, of this missional DNA and is using right. it still uh, for larger, you know, for the larger church and for the purposes of other things that I couldn't have even ever, ever even dreamed about. I guess then we, you've talked a little bit about suffering and, and the second question, as we always find in this podcast, becomes so natural because the question is, how do we move through suffering? And and you talked about your your friend and and that experience of seeing it as a gift for you personally and, and the suffering you've experienced throughout your life. How have you moved through that or how do you move through that? I mean, I have been uh, reading a lot these days about lament, mm. you know, in terms of the proper expression of suffering mm. and giving suffering voice, mm. you know, like to actually to voice the pain. So I think for most of my life, if I'm honest, I dealt with suffering by not feeling it, just suppressing it or pushing it down or not mentioning it mm. or, you know, fighting through. <laughs> and so I'm not even sure that I was aware of the culminate, the, the culmination of, even if it's just suffering you're a part of, yeah. you know, that you're, you're a witness to, mm. uh, it can have a profound effect on your, on your soul, mm. maybe even more of an effect on your soul if you're not uh, attuned to it. Mm. So I think for me, it took me a while in my own personal life to even identify suffering, um, to acknowledge it, mm. and and then to deal with it. Like it, it took me some time to find my way finally to a counselor to say, mm. like, what are these things that I don't know what to do with yeah. that are coming out of me yeah. from a lifetime of just pretending all is okay? Mm. Uh, and I, I, I wouldn't even, I think pretending is a, uh, a hard word. I wouldn't, I would say I was trying to be authentic my whole life, but mm. authentically positive. <laughs> so I like that. I wasn't like That's not, a good reframing. You know, I really like that. <laughs> yeah. And, but also I would say that the suffering that I encountered with other people, I would turn into advocacy yeah. for sure. I would turn yeah. into, but again, I didn't process it well. Yeah. I just turned it into something yeah. quickly. Right. Yeah. So I think to actually just 
identify it to get some help. Yeah. I just needed to find some emotional help. Yeah. Uh, so I found a counselor and that helped a lot. Yeah. I used the 12 step program as like a, a means by which to process a lot of, mm. uh, of my pain. Yeah. Um, things that had happened to me, things that I had done, you know, like the mixture mm. and trying to even navigate what's behind those things. Yeah. Like not just the deed themselves, but what's the motive. Yeah. Um, I found the 12 step program to be really helpful in that mm. regard. Um, and, and then I think the infinitum strategy of daily connection with God, like daily practices mm. where you're not just prescribed external things you're doing, but you're doing things that are connecting you in a deeper way. Mm. So you're becoming more and more attentive mm. to the way of God moving in your life. And I would say staying honest and authentic and connected to real people following Jesus too, like that's a right sizing exercise. Mm. I think every mm. leader needs yeah. more than we think we know. Yeah. Um, and then I, the other thing I think that's really been meaningful and I think is a meaningful way of dealing with suffering is by serving people who suffer too. Yeah. Um, and I, I, you know, everyone, I mean, people who've suffered, you know, things that are indescribable mm. to me will tell me their healing comes, mm. which Isaiah 58 told us already, but they tell me again, that their actual healing comes as they give themselves away to others yeah. and who are suffering as well. So yeah. I think that's a real thing. And sometimes I think even as the more uh, separate you get, you know, as a leadership or mm. whatever it is that you're doing, mm. the more separate you are from actually people who are, <laughs> then the harder it is to find your own healing. It really is true. Like I actually have to stay connected to real people struggling yes. <laughs> and to serve them. Um, or else I lose, I don't know, I lose touch with my own healing somehow. Yes. That's incredibly important, right? I guess the challenge is when the, when the job or when the role or when the expectation is that you are a leader or you are uh, speaking at whatever massive conference is next, the expectation mm -hmm. can sometimes be that almost your suffering is wrapped up in a bow because you had to fix that, inverted commas, I'm doing the bunny ears, but no one ever sees it. You had to, you know, yeah. inverted commas, fix that. You had to get past that to be where you are. But what you're saying is it's only by being in it in in, in connected somehow to it that you can yeah. do those things. Is that right? Am I, is that? Yeah. Like there's a, there's a scene in the movie Hercules, um, the one with Dwayne Johnson, which like, let's be honest, if ever there was a God man <laughs> and uh, <laughs> anyway, so the, the the premise of the movie is that Hercules just made up the myth that he's part God mm. so he could get good gigs. Mm. He's a mercenary for her, for hire. But how he um, pretends that he's part God is he takes on these feats that only, you know, that a man can't do. Mm. But he has a secret team and the secret team comes in sort of stage left. They do the deal and then the, st the team leaves stage right, but he emerges, the great and mighty Hercules. And there's a moment in the movie where Hercules is fighting in the, and by the way, the myth is working for everybody. Mm. Everyone's loving the myth. Hercules, his team, the people, the army that hires him, mm -hmm. everybody. And so he's in the front of the battle and uh, he gets nicked in the shoulder by another fighter. And this, the, the captain of his secret team comes racing over and he gets off his horse and he covers his wound with his cape and he whispers in his ear, never let them see you bleed. Mm. And I watched that movie in a theater with my husband 
And as soon as that scene happened, the entire uh, screen just went blank for me. Mm. And I saw Jesus crucified mm. and bleeding everywhere. Mm. And I felt the Holy Spirit ask me, you know, what kind of a leader do you want to be? Mm. And the choice before me was that I could be Hercules, mm. which is I could, you know, we use uniforms in the Salvation Army, but, you know, you can use a metaphorical cape. Mm. I could cover all my wounds mm. and keep ascending mm -hmm. and pretending that I'm better than I am mm. or presenting better than mm. I am or, you know, like mm -hmm. all this stuff. Or I could be like Jesus, who is willing to suffer and willing to suffer openly, wow. you know, and that it's true even of his emotional life, isn't it? Willing to be angry openly, yeah. willing yeah. to be uh, weeping yeah. openly, yeah. willing yeah. to be weak, yeah. willing to be yeah. vulnerable. And the answer to, of course, to the question is, I want to be Hercules. Mm. Like there's no question in my mind because every yes. single thing in my culture yeah. and in my makeup and even in my religious background has taught me that the Herculean ascent is real mm -hmm. and that's what I'm supposed to do. Mm -hmm. But if I, in my God moments, you know, like in my moments where I'm the most attuned to the spirit of God, I'll understand that this Jesus way is the most powerful kingdom way and that it's costly to me but actually it is the means by which grace and forgiveness and love enter the world mm. which is the only hope for redemption so i think for me after that vision i really started first of all to see very clearly how i had done the hercules thing without even meaning to yeah. but with a good motive mm. but literally like i had uh i had been following this herculean mm. strategy mm. And, uh, and then really come to appreciate that suffering is one of the great ways that helps us mm. to descend instead of ascend. Um, suffering is one of the great equalizers of all people. Yeah. You know, pain is shared. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a shared thing. Mm. And so as we enter into that and we can enter it into it openly without shame or fear of being exposed or without like trying to cover it up, but just like genuinely be ourselves and be human, we can connect with Jesus in a way. Mm. And we can flow, you know, we can be vessels mm -hmm. of the grace and power and love of God mm -hmm. in a way that no other way offers us mm -hmm. because it's a kingdom strategy. So, but um, to say that it's easy or normal, you know, I, I would say it's less about easy or hard and more about it's just so different and other than everything else I've learned, mm. you know? Mm. So I feel like I'm always a beginner at it. Like I always feel like it's like using my left hand all the time when it's about vulnerility yeah. and openness and a willingness to share uh, in the sufferings of Christ and to share in the sufferings of others mm. and to even identify and share in my own. Yeah. I, I, I love the idea that by doing that, we, we connect with Christ. And then by doing that, it also connects with other people. It's like the perfect... It's like the perfect way, right? Because it's like it connects us more deeply to Christ in his suffering, but it also connects us more deeply to one another. And I think of all the time we spend trying to figure out, you know, how to love Jesus and love others. And probably the best way is just to find ourselves in the suffer dirt and, the mess and suffer together. Yeah, right. It's just like it's right. it's so simple. It sounds so simple. But like you say, the, the deep work needed to get there you've mentioned infinitum a couple of times now and i i wonder if you wanted to share a little bit about what that is for people who are listening who maybe don't know well my husband steve and i and phil wall 
and Ian Mayhew all sat around a table lamenting the crash and burn of one of our friends and all of us in grassroots ministry around the world forever, mm. <laughs> lifelong salvationists, mm. leaders. And uh, we asked ourselves some really important questions. I think we were trying to figure out how that happened to mm. our friend. And then I think we were also trying to figure out like, are we okay? And are we going to be okay? And mm. is this thing that we do in terms of Christian ministry and leadership sustainable? And is what we've offered other people also an invitation to a sustainable, abundant life? Or is it to crash and burn eventually? And so we asked ourselves the questions like, are we even really following Jesus right now? Mm -hmm. Like, I know we're following Jesus. Mm -hmm. Like, the big, we're all following Jesus as Christians. Mm -hmm. But like, am I, like, am I listening to Jesus today? Mm -hmm. Am I doing mm. what he's asking me to today? Mm. Is this like a vibrant relationship I have or just a mm. general arrangement I've made? <laughs> and so we just asked ourselves some really deep, beautiful questions. Wow. And um, and then we shared all of us with our own experiences of discipleship, missional training centers, you know, like uh, around the world. Mm. And we just shared our best practices. Like what mm. are the game-changing things that we did and have invested in that have borne mm. the most fruit? Mm was really interesting also about the conversation is we, we asked each other what we were most proud of having mm. done or been part of. And not one of us, this is fascinating, but not one of us named a program mm. or a building. Wow. The only thing we, the thing we were most proud of, all of us, we just named people. Mm. Names after names after names after names of people mm. that we had been part of shaping their lives or part mm. of their faith formation or part of their, you know, uh, emergence as leaders, like whatever mm. it was, we were just most proud mm. of making disciples. Mm. <laughs> and we were like, why aren't we just doing the thing we're most proud of? And mm. like, and what are the ways that we could do this in a meaningful way right now that would mm. really help go take discipleship from like a, a code, an external code that we're following and, uh, and, and move it into a spiritual formation space. Mm. Like what is God doing in me and how am I partnering with God? in living mm. a, my best life, a John 10, 10 life, you know? And so we just put together like a basic framework of what we thought a life of love looks like um, and how we could follow in just a real basic way. And also mm. with our intent to tell other people, like this isn't rocket science. Like mm. it's just really a practice, you yeah. know, it, it's a practice that we do. It's not even a knowledge that we have. Mm. It's a practice that we do. And Jesus is a real person who invites us to practice our faith. Mm. And we just put some, some things together. And then what we decided, this was about eight years ago, I guess, mm. seven years ago, we decided to practice it for a year together, just without telling anybody about it. Mm. And Phil and I were like, I don't know if it's possible. Like we both have the biggest mouths on the planet. So <laughs> I was like, I don't even know if I can do this quietly. Like, but anyway, we did. And uh, we got together after a year and asked like, how'd it go? Mm. And we were like, more in love with Jesus. Mm. We were like, I was more excited about the future. I was more clear. Like, I, I mean, it was, it was a game changer, mm. Matt. And I was like a pretty good Christian leader. Like mm. I wasn't like, you know, mm. um, it was a game changer. Wow. And then we just said, well, maybe it'll help some people. And that's kind of, so it's really super simple, just rhythms, mm. healthy rhythms and postures that we practice to keep Jesus at the center of our lives. And people can sign up for that. They can kind of go and be part of that. We'll put the link in the episode here. Uh, Finitumlife.com. There's a new 30-day challenge out. Um, if you want to just grab a friend and do it for 30 days and check it out. It's probably the yeah. easiest way because it's really hard to explain a practice. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's easier to to practice a practice, like yeah. to just get in on it. Yeah. So if you do the 30 day, it might help you go, oh, I see what it is now. Mm. Yeah. What I also love is that Ian Mayhew does the sketch notes for this podcast every episode. So I'm really <laughs> excited to see his drawing of you around the table and him there as well. It's going to be like the first self-portrait we've had of Ian on this podcast. Which well, I'm and if I'm about. saying it properly, Ian is the brainchild and the king of, of all course. things. Of course, and, and, and it's, a, it's a, yeah, exactly. And if you don't, we're all you learning from him. Yeah. Well, and also if you haven't downloaded those, those sketch notes, whenever people yeah. listen to the podcast, I really encourage you to do it. I get sent them every month after the episode. Yeah. And honestly, I'm consistently blown away by what Ian draws out of these conversations. Yeah, it's amazing. And uh, it's incredible. So I'd encourage you to go and find those. The link's also in the episode description. So Ian, if you could please put in like a bubble somewhere, Danielle loves Ian Mayhew. Yeah. That would be perfect. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's never drawn me. He sometimes, <laughs> I sometimes get a quote, but he's never done a portrait. I'm assuming it's because I'd end up like one of those caricatures on the end of a pier somewhere. But I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm hopeful that one day I will also appear doing something. You can talk to yourself. Exactly. You can talk to yourself one day. <laughs> Like that, episode 100 episode 100 <laughs> is just me on a walk with myself um now uh, let's go to the, the third choice which is the playlist so we're, we're on our walk we're we're going from vancouver to oregon uh what's on the playlist what's in your ears you know what my musical taste is so eclectic it's crazy but uh, and actually i guess it's not that crazy because it mm. goes with me i'm pretty eclectic mm. so variety is king for me like all yeah. the genres put them all in there together i love what other people are listening to like mm. so i have a bunch of friends from other countries and i'll say who's your favorite yeah and put them on my playlist yeah. you know like yeah. and practice like listen to them for a little while so yeah. um it's usually a playlist that is is pretty eclectic music i remember i backpacked around israel when i was a, a like new believer really and um like 19 20 years old and i listened to the mission soundtrack through the whole time it was so epic so now like i cannot listen to that music without thinking of the movie first and then i think of israel second it's kind of funny nice yeah i think uh free fighters learn to fly was the one when i got my first car Uh, yeah it's amazing that music has the power to do that doesn't it and i think that's that's one of the fascinating things about that. But also I think like you talked about the connection with other people going to someone, what are you listening to? It almost yeah. has that same thing of like the Enneagram, right? It's that thing of almost yeah. going, Hey, what are you into? And it's sort of like instantly you go, Oh, okay. Okay. I get a bit. Yeah. I'm with you. I know where yeah. you are. It's, it's a way of kind of finding people and knowing where they are. Right. It's yeah. It's really mm. interesting. Um, the third question is how do you receive joy? Hmm. Well, I mean, I would say it, I open, <laughs> mm. I open. Uh, so I think in my practical life, I just say yes to the invitation. So I think I have to notice it. This is mm-hmm. an invitation to joy. It almost always comes through my kids in this mm-hmm. season of my life. They're always the ones inviting me to joy. Um, and then I just have to make a decision to say yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, I'll choose, I'll do joy. Uh, I'd rather do work right now, but I'll say yes to joy. So Um, And I think even opening, yeah, I think opening to joy, I think joy comes as an invitation all the time. Um, And it's about an an attentiveness to, and an openness to say yes, a choice. And, and is the reason that people don't do that because they don't recognize the invitation or because they're saying no to the invitation? Yeah, I would say it's, it's recognition. I'd say it's Mm -hmm. both. I think People are so, we're so prone to functionality. I mean, I think this is a large part of what the Sabbath was for, Mm. was to like uh, get us out of the grind just long enough that we might open 
Uh, so there's a real, I think there's this, like, we're pretty much closed. Uh, like, I think the same is true. Like when you travel now, I don't know if, if you, if you travel, but like everyone's closed. Mm-hmm. It used to be like when you would travel, you'd have lots of great conversations mm-hmm. and you'd like talk to people in line. You talk to people beside you. Everyone's closed. Their yeah. ear pods are in, you know what I mean? They're on their phones. No one's yeah. open. And then every now and then in those settings, someone will be open and it kind of will open somebody else. It's fun to watch, you know, <laughs> yeah. like this just, whoa, this just changed something. And I almost think like that's it in my everyday life. It's like I'm plugged in yeah. and I'm not open. Yeah. And joy is the one that's like, hello, over yeah. here. Yeah. Like the person not on their phone yeah. that can't wait to talk. Um, I think that's joy. But when you're in the grind and you're in the function, you you see that as an irritation. Yes. And it's actually an invitation. I, I uh, saw today on Twitter someone had put that when you when you book plane tickets they should be booked by how much you want to talk to the person next to you. Right, <laughs> right. It's like people should be able to go through and rather than going window or aisle, it's like chatty person or not chatty person. Just right. kind of work your way through, right? I love that. Right, but I think joy is the chatty one. Yes, me too. Yeah, that's that's sort of inviting you to something bigger than what you're actually trying to do. Yeah which is why it's an irritation at first. Yes. And you don't yes. recognize that this is actually an invitation into a larger life. Yeah, I, I just think those moments are so beautiful. And like you say, they, I don't know about you, but they often seem to come at the worst times for me. And I just wonder what was the moment or, or how do you practice that sense of being willing to say yes and being open? And how do you get past the cynicism and despair that would say, not today? You know, one of the things I actually do practically is I use, so in the morning, I start my days off with this posture of surrender Mm. and then generosity and then mission or others. Mm. So I basically am like, this life is not my own. I surrender the day. And then I'm like, I receive what I need and I'm going to give it away. And then my life is open to the needs Mm. of others today, whether they're my right in my own house or on, they're on the other side of the world. Mm. And I just leave myself open. And then at the end of the day, when I'm lying in bed and I can't get to sleep, I usually go through the postures again. And I say, where was I surrendered? And where were the opportunities for surrender today? And then I just thank God for them, whether I missed them or got them. I just thank God for them and say, you know, I'm going to do it again tomorrow. And then I look for things I'd receive for the day. What, where, where did I freely receive today? And then where did I freely give today? And I celebrate mm. those times. And then I look back over my day and I look for places where I was others focused. You know, where did I serve well? Who was I open to? And what I've discovered happens to me, and maybe it's because of the practice of the morning intention and then Mm. the evening reflection. Mm. But what's been happening to me is I'll have an encounter in the day where there's an offer, there's an invitation. And I'll I'll see myself later that night reflecting on this moment now. Like, I'll be like, oh, this is going to be one of those ones I'm either going to miss or I'm going to take when I look back on my day. (laughs) And I found that that practice, even though it's kind of a weird, you know, like future whatever, but that practice has been really useful in opening me to all the things. Yes. Um, It's been a really useful practice uh, for me to go, oh, I see. I'm supposed to receive. Yeah. Uh, Or I see, right? Like, this is an opportunity to serve or, and I think... I think that invitation to joy, that invitation to, because I think joy is really this like shared human mm. celebration, right? Mm. It's it's this like we're in this thing together mm. and there's something fun, you know, mm. something fun and, and uh, joyful about it. So I think I've become much more open to others-centered living, which I think is part of the recipe of um, of joy. 
definitely i love that i love the idea that as your day is going ahead you're already kind of imagining how you're gonna like yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna gonna ask myself some questions about this later and i want to make sure you know like if i if i don't do this i'm gonna i'm gonna answer to myself later on that's right that's right so amazing i love that i love that but i also love that i guess there's yeah that's the sort of thing that again when you're in that kind of pattern of of life and that rhythm of life that yeah. just becomes such a part of your everyday, which I just think is really powerful. Yeah. Amazing. Okay, one more question, uh, but one more choice first, which is what is in the snack bag? This is important. Okay, well, this is where everybody wants me to choose between sweet and salty, but I need them both. Yeah, So absolutely. I want anything salty. Okay. Uh, like the salt, and I, I really like the, I don't know what if you guys have these, but like you guys have salt and vinegar crisps of course so anything like that or like i don't know if you guys get the spicy dill pickle chips that we get over here no oh they're so good okay all right also maybe a bag of wasabi almonds you ever have those i'm not a mad wasabi fan but i'm with you on the spicy dill pickle chips i'll take okay yep yep that's good and then i'm gonna need some yeah i'm gonna need some chocolate preferably from england and preferably um some fairly traded cadburys would be good yeah yeah, I, you know, it's one of the things our, 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 you know, we love our North American brothers and sisters, but why have you not been able to do chocolate? I mean, what is... We at least have some Cadbury options here. Like there, there are still some decent, but it's no, yeah. it's nowhere near. Yeah, your chocolate levels, it's no. good game. You guys have a good game there on the well, chocolate front. Well, I'll tell you what, if you bring the spicy dill pickle flavored chips, yeah. I'll bring the fairly traded Cadbury's. Boom. We can meet in the middle and we yes. can be the dream team of snacks. Right? Yes. Do you have the au natural snakes? Oh, or is that uh, that's Australian? No, we have those too. They're, they're kind of the gummy ones without all the yes, bad stuff in them. Yes, but it has to be all natural. It can't yeah. be any of that. It's also the texture. It's not just the flavor. So there's, a, there's, there's a texture that's just slightly less shiny. I know, yeah. I know. Okay, we've got one final question Okay, uh, before we both go and try and find some of those snakes that are, for me, a late <laughs> night garage here in the UK, for you, a kind of a mid-afternoon, evening garage uh, where you are. But we've got one final question, which is this. How do you mature in service? Huh. Uh, how do you mature in service? That's a really good question. I would say, well, the easiest thing to do is to say by doing it. Mm. So that's number one. But I would say I know lots of people who've done it forever and never matured in it. So that's mm-hmm. not the only recipe. Mm-hmm. I think my favorite recipe and that I usually teach people is the debrief. Um, mm. I think, and this is actually, I got this out of Jesus's life where mm. the debrief is where all the maturing happens. So you do it and then you debrief it what happened, what was going on, what did you miss, where was God, did you, you know, and it's in that, that's where the maturity happens. And um, so I would say the debrief is the secret (laughs) to maturity and service. So you will not remember this, but we stood in a tent in Southport many years ago, and I had preached for the first time at Roots the night before. I had in my own mind done a pretty awful job. And I was standing chatting to some people and you were preaching that night and uh, you were kind of around us. And I think you obviously heard my kind of slightly whiny exchange that I was performing on the other side of of where we were. And uh, you came to me and you challenged me in that moment about how I was debriefing and who I was debriefing with Mm -hmm. in a way that I remember probably now 15 years, maybe more from where we were. Sometimes when people say things, I have to go, well, what does that look like? But when you say that, I know exactly what that looks like because you did it, you did it for, you know, with me and for me in that, in that moment. And I think it's really important. Yeah. 
because I think the ability to get into our own heads or to, you know, live off praise or die by criticism or to find ourselves in a place where that affirmation or the debrief happens online with how many emails or likes you get when it goes on Instagram mm-hmm. is so apparent. Mm-hmm. And so that the maturing in a real debrief, I think, is really important. Mm-hmm. I want I want to ask you, though, so you these days, your ministry is incredibly broad, but mm-hmm. also in many ways, uh, quite high profile. You speak mm-hmm. at some of the biggest conferences in the world. You speak mm-hmm. in front of huge rooms. Your talks are broadcast to tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people across the world. How do you avoid the trap of starting to buy into everything else that goes with that? Yeah, that is, I think it's a, it's an honest struggle because I think, I think the one thing that is the temptation to every other thing is, um, is, is, uh, shoot, what do you call that word when you expect it? You know, you're, it's privilege. Entitlement. Yeah. Yeah, Entitlement. It's entitlement. Yeah. So I think there's some ways that you can battle entitlement Mm -hmm. and I would, I would call it like a right sizing. So I think depending on how much emphasis, and this can happen if you have a big ministry, but it can also have, if you have a small ministry with a mm-hmm. big ego, it's mm-hmm. the same. I think that we have to battle entitlement by intentionally serving. Mm. So I've noticed that this usually is just posture. It's less about the stuff. I used to think it was about the stuff. So then that it was really hard because to engage with people in wealthy situations, like I was just at a resort speaking to these high level leaders mm. And the whole time I was just thinking like, what am I doing here? This is so dumb. These people mm. are rich. Like, <laughs> like, I was just like pretty much every judgment mm. in the world. And then I sat next to this guy from like Kazakhstan who's serving like the poorest of the poor who's here. To, anyway, it's a long story. But I said like, how do you do this? Like, how are you at this mm. resort with these filthy mm. rich people? And he said, he said to me, he said, I, I, I tend to find judgment unhelpful for engagement. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> he just did to like, you what you did to me at Roots. He just right. Danielle Strickland did you. I That's love right. that. <laughs> and I was like, touche. So, um, and again, like even in those settings, like as soon as you've removed yourself from yeah. the, the people you're with, regardless yeah. of who they are. So whether yeah. you do that with people who are suffering, you know, economic hardship yeah. or whether you do that with people who are rich, it doesn't yeah. matter. It's the same. Yeah. It's the same move you're making. It's a posture yeah. move. Yeah. So, and the other thing that I've done is I battle in my mind, the, as soon as the dominant thoughts of my mind are me centered. Yeah. So like, I wonder if I'm going to be okay. Like if yeah. what I'm going to say is going to be all right. Like it's, it's all me. I'm at yeah. the center of that. Yeah. I just changed my, I changed my um, question yeah. to how can I serve here? Yeah. And I found that to be really useful. Like even in a green room, you know, where you're, sequestered away from people for some good Mm. reasons you know Mm. like there's really good reasons why some of these systems exist Mm. but it can uh, separate you from people which is not Mm. what you need Mm -hmm. but even in a green room even if you have to be separate on one level you can still serve the people in the green room like you can still serve them like who's new here who feels awkward here Mm -hmm. like who's serving us here Mm -hmm. that i could get to know and minister to like Mm. Or and even just be present with like who do I think yeah. I am, you know? Yeah. So I think there is this like right sizing that needs to happen yeah. to all leaders everywhere all the yeah. time. Um and I think you you choose that. I think you you start you change the the tape in your head mm. and you start uh looking for how you can serve. I think gratitude is a really, really good posture. 
um, instead of focusing on what isn't going right or what you don't get, mm-hmm. focusing on what you have and the mm-hmm. opportunities that you have. And then the other thing I do is I, I usually uh, travel with people uh, who I'm trying to invest in or and in, in the past, uh, often I would bring somebody literally right out of my ministry. Mm. So like uh, those are the most fun. That was always the most fun. I had a mm. couple of travel buddies who were new Christians and mm. totally, you know, didn't get any mm. of the didn't have a clue who anybody was like. Yeah. And uh, those are the best because you're like, mm. oh, yeah, like this is real life. So I took a friend with me to England, actually. At a, this is one of my favorite stories. And it was someone was being very kind driving us. And we got to the venue, the, mm. the hotel. And he whispered to my friend who's in the front seat. So I guess you'll get her bag. And my friend said to him, oh, no, she has arms. She can get her own bag. <laughs> <laughs> so now every time someone says to me, like, do you want me to get your bag? I'm like, no, I've got arms. I can get my bag, you know. So yeah. but again, like sometimes I, I get it. I'm not trying to say everyone should always get their own bag. No, like no, no. But, people but, can be served. But yeah. it just was such a great. Oh, yeah. I brought the right person on this trip, you know, yes. like. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. That right sizing. Now, if you're a parent, this usually doesn't take long because your kids also like, you know, you can get pretty right sized as a mom in a quick hurry. So. Oh, yeah. I have a I have a seven and a half year old who right sizes me. Most, yeah. Most hours of the day. So, right. you know, we're, yeah, 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 yeah. But, but you're right. But I think people is really crucial to that. Right. As in having the right people around you. Mm-hmm. And again, like, you know, like you've talked about across all of your answers, that sense of connection with people. Yeah. Who are you? How do you react to things? What's your number? What's your story? Where have you suffered? All of those things that Mm -hmm. that sense of engaging with people and and being in community with one another. That Mm -hmm. seems just really important, I guess, and foundational for for who you are and what you do. Mm -hmm. Danielle Strickland now goes back to Danielle Strickland 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. What what is the biggest difference or what's the one piece of advice you would see or say? Um, I would say that my, the biggest difference would be, I think I've come more into agreement with who God says I am, Mm. which has liberated me, uh, from trying to prove or to please what other people want me to be, including me, you Mm. know? So I think I call that true humility, just Mm. agreeing with God about who you are. Mm. And, um, and then the other piece of that is true dependency so Mm -hmm. trying to create places in my life where only god can show up um and that i feel like the more self-sufficient you are maybe even the more successful you are the harder that is to do Mm -hmm. um but i feel the invitation still there so Mm -hmm. those are the two things i think the two postures that i you know that i I think that is shalom that is true peace when you can be truly humble and truly dependent you're you're fine you're shalom (laughs) you're whole yeah um so those are the two big things that i try to to aim for is to keep coming into agreement with god about who i am and to keep coming into agreement with god about who he is Mm -hmm. and i think that partnership's a a lifelong joy daniel thank you so much for being on the altering podcast it um is such a joy to speak to you and the things you've shared, I just know are going to be really helpful for people. But And it is always wonderful to kind of hear you uh, talk about stuff. People can obviously find out more about you on your website, which will be in there. Infinitum will be on there. Sure. New book in the spring. All of those things. But I just want to say thanks for your time because we really appreciate you coming on and talking to us. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Bless you, Matt. 
A huge thanks to Danielle for joining us here on the All Terrain podcast. So much to digest and take away and to think about. And, and I got to tell you, it's been a couple of weeks since I recorded that one. And honestly, so often I just keep coming back to that conversation and I've listened to it again and again and again. And I, I'm just so grateful uh, that we were able to get Danielle here on the show. It's been absolutely brilliant. You can find out more about Danielle at daniellestrickland.com. You can also find out more about Infinitum at infinitumlife.com. All of the details will be in the show description. That's it for this episode, but don't forget to share the podcast across your social media channels. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, we'd love it if you could give the show a rating or write us a review. All those things help us get the show heard by even more people. And you can also now access our brilliant sketch notes and small group questions that accompany each episode. Just search for the All Terrain Podcast or click the link in the episode description. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back next time with another guest who'll be facing the four choices, answering the four questions and sharing their wisdom learned along the way on the All Terrain Podcast.